Let me pray and then I'll read Acts chapter 1. Lord Jesus, we do want to thank you that the Bible is written and is written to give us confidence. And so we pray that you'll help us to humble ourselves that we might have confidence in you as we hear you speak to us through what is written in this book. Help us to see the greatness of Jesus and help us to grow in our love for him. In his name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book of Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven, he, as he went, look, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way, as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David, concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. 
for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. And this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language Akodama, which is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate and let no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward to Joseph, called Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas has turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. I see I told you it was important to open the Bible and find the page because I got to verse 20 and I got completely carried away and uh, that's how it finished but then you were looking weren't you already in the Bible you know how uh, the story went got to the end of the chapter. Right we'll stop there and the children are going to go off to their group and we'll then pick up uh, Acts chapter 1 so don't shut the book We'll be back there in just a minute. Okay, but the children are gone. Let me just uh, start with a, a fairly uh, uh, common question, I guess, people might feel as they walk in. But isn't Beckentry Church a strange place to come to? You know, sir? But I don't mean particularly that there's something odd with Beckentry Church. I mean, it's just that any church is uh, a strange place to go to if you stop and think about it and particularly I think if you know the story of Jesus which churches teach because the story of Jesus ends as in most church buildings at the top uh, will tell you uh, with a cross he dies at the end of his story and so the Jerusalem authorities thought that they had this Christianity thing completely contained because if you kill the head of Christianity, it's just a matter of time before the body will die. And what's left in the body? Just a few incompetent fishermen. In other words, it's hardly a Steve Jobs who's got this exciting new product that he's going to fill the world with. But these are men who are just pretty ordinary and haven't really gone very much beyond their own way of thinking. So how is it if we finish the story of Christianity with the head gone, the body struggling, how is it that we've got more Bibles in the world than iPhones? 
wise that Christianity has got people coming into places like this. It's strange when you stop and think, but the answer is there in this book that we call the Acts of the Apostles. We call it a book, but actually when Luke wrote it, he would have written it on a papyrus, the size of a kitchen roll. Quite a lot of writing to do. And that book starts explaining things that we would be in the dark if we didn't have its uh, pages in front of us. So, for example, if we skip Acts and we go on to read in the rest of the New Testament, we see there are lots of different churches mentioned, Romans, Corinth, and all those other places. Well, we'll get to those letters and we'll never know how those churches came into existence unless we first understood the book of Acts. And those letters were written by a man called Paul. Well, without the book of Acts, he would be appearing from nowhere as well. It's Acts to tell us all we need to know about how the story of Christianity that was locked up in Jerusalem would then get to Dagnum and be part of our story as well. And I think there are two important things that we can learn just from this very first chapter. And the first thing we need to learn is that Jesus is active. Luke says that in chapter 1, verse 1, if you have a look, you'll see that he wrote a book before this, but that book only dealt with what Jesus began to do and teach. And what uh, uh, the second book tells you is that Jesus didn't stop. He began in the first book, he's carried on, so the second book becomes necessary. And our heading says, you can see at the top of the page, the Acts of the Apostles. Now some people have said it's better to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it's really the Holy Spirit that's doing the work. But Luke would tell us the best way to see this is the Acts of Jesus. It's what he continues to do and teach. And you tell us in verse 9 of chapter 1 why Jesus is physically absent he is taken up out of sight not to be seen again he is physically absent but Luke will only tell you that after he's told you verse 1 that he is actively present so we have in Jesus someone who is physically absent but actively present working through the Holy Spirit by the hand of the apostles doing his work today and Jesus himself actually made it clear that that's how it would be at the end of Matthew he tells the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations and they promises I will be with you even to the end of the age he is physically absent but actively present and here the job hasn't changed he's going to send them out and you can see the journey mapped out in verse 8 he's going to start in Jerusalem and spread out to Judea and then Samaria and then to the ends of the earth and that maps out how uh, the book of Acts will be written 
Um, they will start in uh, Acts chapter 1 in Jerusalem and they go on to Samaria and then finally Acts chapter 28, the last chapter, ends in Rome which is the far furthest distant point that you can go, the heart of the Roman Empire itself. But he will be with them. And the way he shows that he will be with them at each stage is that the Holy Spirit is the invisible Jesus that comes to church to be active in what goes on. That's why Jesus said, uh, wherever two or three are gathered together, I will be with them. Yeah, Jesus is constantly in his church. And so therefore what you have as Jesus goes through these different three stages is you will see that there is uh, a, a Pentecost for the Jewish people in Acts chapter 2. That's the most famous one that everybody talks about. But what we need to understand is actually there are three Pentecosts in Acts. All identical. And there's a second one in Acts chapter 8 with the Samaritans. And then a third Pentecost with the Gentiles. The out and out foreigners in Acts chapter 10. So you do get uh, uh, those three ways in which Jesus is the one who is active in each of those different groups as the church grows and spreads. And so at the end of the Bible when you see the Apostle John finally catching up with Jesus in a vision and what does he find Jesus doing? He's walking amongst the lampstands and that's a picture where the John uses to describe uh, that Jesus is walking amongst the churches. He hasn't, in other words, left. He is physically absent, but actively present. And he is there with his people. And that's why it is uh, such an important uh, part of the Bible for us to grab hold of. Because ultimately, the church is not just an, a building with people in it. It is a group of people with Jesus. Uh, active uh, in their lives and in their church. And that's why you get a church in Dagnum. That's why you could, I suppose, if somebody said there are additional pages to be added on to Acts right as you go along. So you get the church in Dagnum, you get the church in Kenya, you get the church in Nigeria, you get the church in ever expanding places going out because Jesus is the one who is active in it. It is really important, a basic truth I know, but really important for us to understand that Jesus really is here. Although we can't see him. Physically absent, but actively present. Second lesson, Jesus is king. And that's another big theme in the book and you can see that with that question the disciples ask in verse 6, but actually already Jesus has constantly spoken to them about the kingdom of God in verse 3. He is speaking to them over those 40 years about the kingdom of God. So in verse 6 they say, well, is now the time that uh, you will uh, restore the kingdom to Israel? There's a wise man called Calvin who said that there are as many mistakes in that question as there are words. 
complete the wrong question because the biggest mistake of all is they thought it would be a political question. Is this going to be the time when you bring, become king of Israel and change the face of our whole political system in this country? And what Jesus asked us says, no, it's not going to be a political kingdom in verse 11. Essentially what we're finding out is that it's going to be a spiritual kingdom. It is going to be a kingdom where uh, through the Holy Spirit people will follow Jesus as their king. And it's going to be an international kingdom. It is going to be first in Jerusalem and Judea and then to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And it's going to be a gradual kingdom. It's going to expand in those different stages. It'll take time. And ultimately it's going to be an eternal kingdom because Jesus will come back in verse 11. So their answer, their understanding the kingdom is completely up to spark, but it was right in this case. They are wrong to ask when, but they are right to understand that Jesus is a king. They're not asking if there will be a kingdom, they're asking when. And again, my friends, this is really good news because when you stop and think about it, there is such a thing as good government. And it's important, I think, for us to know that because certainly in our country where actually in many ways we have good government, but nonetheless it's strange, isn't it? Every five years we stop and we say, could we have another government, please, better than the last one? We have an election, don't we? Why do we have an election? Because we're rather hoping the next lot will be better. Because all of us want a place that is going to be led well and we're disappointed that the last regime that turned our promise and then run it well didn't do it, so please can we have the next in the line? But in this promise there is a kingdom that will come that will one day be perfectly run and ruled, a real kingdom with a real king. Because in verse 11 we see at the end, you will see Jesus running it. That's the promise. It'll happen. And I want to suggest, if you blend those two things together, Jesus is active and Jesus can, you put those two things together, and I think it'll grow confidence in three ways. First, it'll grow confidence in our evangelism. And it is interesting that they ask this question about the kingdom in verse 6. Are you now going to be the king? In other words, are we now going to see your power? And Jesus answers them in verse 8 by saying, no, actually, the power is not going to be seeing the kingdom. The, the power is, God's power is going to be seen in you. And he says to them in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. So they're going to be receiving the power and you know that they've received the power because they are going to be witnesses in verse 8. For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come and you will be my witnesses. That's the sign that the power of Jesus is around and that they have it. So the part that we're talking about here, when we talk about evangelism, it's not what you expect preachers normally to say, which is, you know, you must go out and evangelize. I'm not saying that. That's uh, an application of law. I'm telling you this is a promise of grace. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. The sign of my power at work in my people is that they will go 
and people will become Christians as a result. It doesn't urge evangelism, it guarantees it. Because the Holy Spirit will come, they will be, they receive power, they will be witnesses. And so therefore, you read as you go through this book, and we will go through this book, chapter by chapter, and we'll see discouragement after discouragement after discouragement meet the church, and yet what happens? More and more evangelism happens with every bit of discouragement that comes. In the most unexpected ways, the church grows and grows. We've seen that in our own little fellowship, haven't we? So that um, there's someone here uh, present, who I won't name, because she used to go to a church that I um, don't want to specifically mention. But uh, the church that she went to is the worst place in Dagenham to go and hear about Jesus because they deny absolutely everything the Bible tells you about him. And yet in that church they ran a confirmation course. And in that confirmation course this person heard about Jesus and wonderfully understood how great he is and how he was to be followed and served and loved. And the first thing the Holy Spirit told her is that she wasn't going to stay in that church but moved, moved to another place. But, but even in that church, which is the last place we would recommend anyone to go if they want to find Christ, she found Christ. Because the Holy Spirit guarantees that uh, uh, there will be a witness to the Lord Jesus. And it's a wonderful incentive for us to, to know that in the four years our church has been in existence, God has kept his promise to us as Beckenford Church and he has sent us out into our streets around to be witnesses for him. The mark of the Holy Spirit in someone's life, the power of the Holy Spirit in someone's life, never mind what you hear in other places, but what Acts chapter 1, 8 tells you is that the power of the Holy Spirit is seen that you will be witnesses. And where you see a church uh, witnessing, you will see a church with the power of the Holy Spirit in there. Whatever other claims other churches might be, if you don't see a church out witnessing, the Holy Spirit is not working in power. So, it's a wonderful thing to be confident that nothing will stop our witness and that is the confidence we have as we go out to serve Christ in evangelism this new term. Secondly, prayer. Now, prayer is another uh, wonderful area in which we can grow confidence because Jesus is active and Jesus is King. And so that's what the disciples do. Jesus said in a very short time the Holy Spirit will come, but that's going to take 10 days before you get to Acts chapter 2. And in those 10 days while they're waiting, what do they do in verse 14? They all, if you have a look, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. You see, they've just been given this huge job, haven't they? They're to be witnesses to Judea, uh, to Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Such a huge job. And they go and they pray. And then they've got a decision in front of them. And what happens, what happens when they've got to choose between two identical people? You think that would be a simple thing. But no, in verse 24 they say, Lord, you are the one that knows the hearts. We don't. You need to help us to make that choice. 
verse 24, you pray. Can you see how wonderful, what a wonderful freedom that prayer gives us to completely leak away all self-confidence. There's no, you've got this big job, hey, let's go get it, let's do it. None of that. Lord, this is too much for us. We are constantly needed to come to you and ask you for your help. And, and what happens, uh, we've got a decision to make. And we can easily bodge that too. But please, will you help us to choose? Prayer is a wonderful, wonderful gift of giving you the freedom to confess that actually it's all too much for us and we can't do it. It's a confession to be helpless. I know there are ways in which people might use this pastor and say, can you see the disciples pray? Therefore you must pray as well. Yeah, you can drive people on that if you want. But I think what this passage opens the door for us to do is to say actually, all I need, if I'm going to be more prayerful, all I need is my need. And the confidence that Jesus is active and Jesus is king. Then I'll pray. And then thirdly, confidence grows in the scriptures. If Jesus is active and Jesus is king, then be confident that he will lead us through what is written in the Bible. Now, what's happening at the end of the chapter in verse 15 onwards is that uh, they're having their first church meeting and somehow Luke has got hold of the minutes and he tells us what Peter says, and what Peter says is full of Bible. Why does he speak like this? The answer is that actually right through his life, Jesus was explaining things from the Bible to them to help them to understand what he was doing. But then particularly after he came back from the dead, he spent those uh, days that he had with them, those six weeks, those 40 days, by opening their minds to scriptures and by opening the scriptures to their minds. So no wonder they don't think about anything else. You can see him doing that. If you look at the first book that Luke wrote, Luke's Gospel itself, Luke chapter 24 and verse 27, and it says there, At the bottom of page 885, Luke chapter 24, verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Uh, funny enough, I was uh, preaching in another church this morning, and the person I sat next to, we were asked by the person leading the service to say, uh, tell the person sitting next to you what your favorite part of the Bible is. And so, um, the wonderful thing about a new church uh, is no one knows that you're the preacher sat next to them. So, uh, 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 I sat there and I asked him, I said, what's your favorite bit? He said, oh, I don't go to the Old Testament, because the Old Testament is full of history. I go to the New Testament. Oh, yes. Well, which part of the New Testament do you go to? And he said, oh, all of it. Which means that I could tell that he couldn't think any of it. <laughs> But, you see, that's the thing, isn't it? I've been to a person uh, in uh, 
Tooney Road and he said, I don't read the Old Testament because it's full of history. But fascinating that Jesus says, not full of history, it's full of me. And so therefore, when Peter has a decision to make, he doesn't go to God for a new word. He says, okay, I'm going to look at the old word. The old word tells me in Psalm 106 that Judas comes under God's judgment. And the old word in Psalm 109 verse 8, and I think probably if you look at uh, the bottom of your page of the Bible, it will probably give you those references. Um, and it will tell you that in Psalm 109 verse 8, the old Bible says, get a replacement. Because when the, new, when the people of God started in the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes that they built up the people of God on. And now there's going to be a new developed uh, people of God and they're going to have to be 12 men but they're one short. Psalm 109 says replace him. So that when you start on the day of Pentecost and the church is born there are going to be 12 men standing up in Acts chapter 2 verse 14. So therefore we need to get that replacement fixed. And that's the whole point. They understand how they are to lead, how they are to uh, work together by what God has spoken in the Bible. That is how the king is active and speaks to, to his people. Again, you see, if we just try and get to our Bible and say, I'm going to read it out of an iron sense of discipline, well, okay, good luck, but you won't last long. But if you read the Bible, because Jesus is active and is king, and this is how he will speak to us, then no wonder we'll do what the apostles did, which is to fill our minds with what is written here. That's how we will enlarge the wisdom with which we know how to go forward and live. We don't need new words. It is so important, if only the church could grasp that. We don't need another new single word for God to speak to us. All he has got to say to us, he has said. And those words will lead our steps today. That's what's happening with Peter. Even in the next chapter, when the Holy Spirit comes, they've never experienced anything like it. And what does Peter say? I'll tell you what's going on here. Oh, you don't need to be too surprised. Joel spoke about this. What's the new thing God is doing? Well, it will be explained in what God has said in the Bible. It will draw your confidence in the Bible if you understand Jesus is active and he is king. And that's how we have a Bible that we can trust. Well, what can we take home from this? I want to do what I normally do, which is to speak to three different groups of people. And it may be that you're someone who is not a Christian, and all this is brand new to you, and you're trying to make sense of it. And you hear that Jesus is active, and that Jesus is king, and you say, great, prove it. Do me a miracle. Show me that Jesus is active and Jesus is king. And the answer is no. Why? Because Acts chapter 1, verse 3 tells you, that Jesus has already presented himself 
after his suffering by many proofs. In other words, there is ample proof. And therefore you don't need new proof. What would you say to the judge who takes a trial and in front of him is the man who's committed murder and eyewitnesses have seen him do it and the judge says, no, I don't think he's guilty because I didn't see him do it. He would say, judge, I'm sorry, but there is sufficient proof here for you to convict him. That's exactly what we need to say to people who wonder if there's enough proof about Jesus being king. Now you've got proof, but the proof is going to be seen from what he has done in the past. There are going to be no new miracles for you, because the old miracles are more than enough. And it's up to us to ultimately humble ourselves and accept what the eyewitnesses tell us which is just what we would want the judge to do in the little uh, uh, example I gave you. Be humble. See that there is proof and follow him. And you will then discover that although he is physically absent, he is actively present in your life. And be a wonderful life uh, to discover and live. What happens if you've been around churches a long time? And many people, I think, um, some of us have grown in different countries where it's the culture to go to church. And we might have uh, gone to church when we were very young and kept on going all that time since then. Maybe that uh, we've uh, had that kind of experience in the past. But I want to suggest to you that Acts 1 has a word for us, and that is a word of warning. Consider Judas. Look, see how privileged he was. Have a look and see uh, when you understand how in verse 17 he was numbered among the original disciples. And if you're going to find a replacement, you're going to find, you're going to have to look for someone who, was, who went along uh, uh, in and out amongst us in verse 21, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. In other words, someone who's really been with Jesus, ringside seat in all the different things that Jesus did. That's what Judas was privileged to have seen. He even had some ministry, didn't he? In verse 17 he says, he was allotted his share in this ministry. There are people who have been in churches, grown up, and they've even had ministry jobs in those churches. But what happened? He died under God's judgment. And I think verses 17 and 18 might just give us a little glimpse of why. If you look at verse 17 and 18, what you find out is that he was, he essentially uh, acquired a field in verse 18 and he fell in that field under God's judgment. In other words, money is really what drew Judas. And money often, I think, is what Acts will tell us, separates the phony disciple from the real one. When you see people genuinely following Jesus, they are very generous in the way that they give. When you see people who are phony Christians, pretend Christians, they don't particularly want to give, they want to get. Judas acquired a field. 
Ananias and Sapphira, when you get to Acts chapter 5, were also wanting to give the impression they were generous, but they really wanted it for themselves. And I think very often our approach to money will show us whether we're genuine or let's pretend. And Judas, well, in the end, he preferred what money would give him in this life rather than to trust and wait for the kingdom of heaven that Jesus promised. And so he acquired his field and he fell under God's judgment. What happens if uh, you're a real believer? Well, here is the encouragement, is it? To live with great confidence. Listen to the angels who say, he will come back the way you saw him go. In other words, you will see Jesus and he will bring in a wonderful world in which he will be the king. Now, I think we need to see that as a great word from God to the situation of day where I think there could be, particularly in our country, a, a mood of political optimism. You know, Brexit will give us the full freedom to trade with whoever wants to and bring in prosperity that way, or be in Remain, and, and that will guard uh, our relationship with the European Union, or maybe if we have Theresa May as our Prime Minister, then we're going to be level-headed and stable. Or if we have Jeremy Corbyn as our Prime Minister, then ultimately everybody uh, will be looked after better than they are. Or if we have Boris Johnson, where we have a new flamboyant uh, man who knows where he's going and can be a very uh, authoritative, convincing uh, person. Or Jacob Reese mobs or whoever you want to name as a leader, people always are looking, aren't they, for someone who will make it better for them and they pin their hopes but my friend whoever we have running things where Jesus told us that until he comes back there will be wars and there will be rumours of wars in other words there is going to be no part of the planet there where there is absolute security whoever is in charge whatever good things they do but isn't it encouraging that there is such a thing as good government which will come? But it will come from heaven, not something that we can manufacture and grow on earth. The person who started the world will be there at the end of it. And he will write as its perfect king. And we need to understand that there is such a thing as good government that is coming on its way. There is such a thing as good government that the Africans would long for, given all the corruption and the difficulties that there are. There is such a thing as good government that the West seems to think it has, but then quickly has to change its mind. So, don't be put off by today's pessimism, or today's optimism. Point to that kingdom and that king. Don't be shy in evangelism, but encourage people into that kingdom 
to live under the rule of that king. Don't be put off by your weakness. Understand your weakness. But understand that Jesus is active and king and seek God in prayer in that helplessness that you feel. And don't look for new words. Fill your mind with these words. And God will fill your mind with wisdom and keep you safe in the choices that you make. Let's remember that as we hold on to that great truth that Jesus, yes, physically absent, but actively present. And that is what Beckenshaw Church will discover. And we see how we can discover it the way the people in the Acts discovered it as we go through this book. And next week is chapter 2, and we will discover how to become a Pentecostal church. But before then, let's stop and we'll pray. And you pray quietly in your own heart, one minute, asking God to help you to hold on to something that you need to hold on to as a result of what we've heard today. And then I'll pray a prayer at the end, and then we'll have questions and answers where you might like things cleared up. Let's have a moment of quiet first. Well, our meeting is up, so let me pray. Father, we thank you that uh, Jesus is with us, and that although his kingdom is resisted all around our estate, thank you that it is always gaining ground not just here, but right across the world. And we pray that as we live in the, the evidence that there is, that although Jesus is physically absent, he is actively present, help us nonetheless to look forward to his return in our uncertain world. And when we feel helpless, help us to look to you, to lead us and cry out to you in prayer for that to happen and help us to live our lives steered by the priorities of your word so that we are led by the spirit and live for the gospel as a new purpose for our lives we pray that you will open these uh, doors for us as we go through the acts and learn with your people the greatness of our King. In his name we pray. Amen.